Why are we here? What does it all mean? These are the questions that have haunted philosophers and theologians alike since the dawn of consciousness. Camus said, to decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. But luckily, that isn't why we're here today. We're here to talk about music. In this, our inaugural episode, we catch up with Caleb Dawson, currently playing drums for the one and only Rocky Erickson. In part one, we talked to him about his 10 years or older choice, Alice Cooper's Killer. And in part two, we talked to him about his selection for a record release in the last 12 months or less, Aldous Harding's Party. But enough of my yakking. What do you say? Let's boogie. This is On Vinyl Podcast with your hosts, James Parker, Patrick Travis, and Jeremy Ward. <laughs> Can we hear some music now? Hang on. Caleb Dawson, play in uh, The Bad Lovers, Sweat Lodge, and now with Rocky Erickson. And was in The the Wolf, which I thought was amazing. Thank you. And so uh, the first record we're going to be talking about is uh, Alice Cooper's Killer. And so we're going to start that up now. I want an origin story. I mean, like, you know, this is an album that uh, meant a lot to you. I mean, I want to hear how you heard it. Like, was it a big Yeah, what made you pick this album? Shit, you know? uh, I got into the Ramones in, like, seventh grade, and then my dad wanted to show me some rock and roll that led up to late 70s punk. Ended up showing me a lot of stuff from 71 to 74. This is records from 71. Showed me this. Showed me, like, Lou Reed, Coney Island Baby. Showed me... Uh, <clears throat> what else new york doll stuff like that and i just kind of fell in love with the theatrics of that early 70s proto-punk yeah i'll show you dad's sure. cool my dad showed I was me about steely. To say, yeah cool dad yeah. <laughs> my, my, i think it was my 16th birthday my dad gave me a steely dan album so well my dad loves them too <laughs> yeah but uh, when you're i know how patrick feels about steely dan yeah, i was about to say Is that next week? <laughs> i remember uh, Look, it's not the, it's not what every 16 year old wants that's all i'm saying i remember on a shuttle bus on the way back from a boat party <laughs> some some fucking drunk honkies are talking shit this whole time being real annoying on this boat and then this one <clears throat> one yuppie dude in linen shorts is like, if you don't like Steely Dan, I'll fucking fight you. And Patrick gets up, he's like, I'll fucking fight you right now, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I think we were also fighting for control over music on that mm-hmm. on the way back. So we're trying to play Steely Dan. It's like, no, we're listening to Sir Lord Baltimore. There you go. So, Well, something Patrick and I both agree about. That's something interesting. <laughs> don't get used to it. I feel like, I feel like Steely Dan gets a bad rap. I'll fight you right now, James. (laughs) Maybe we should. That's what I was going for. Head in the Steely Dan direction tonight. All right, here we go. Uh, This is going to be the first song on Alice Cooper Killer Under My Wheels. Yeah. 
of my favorite rhythm sections in rock and roll. This whole band was on point at this, oh, yeah. at this time. I was thinking about it earlier, and it's like, man, they were really hitting right here. Like the, you could tell they were playing together a lot. Mm-hmm. They were synced up, like the way like the bass lines complement the rhythm and everything is really just locked in. Totally. Like, they were they were really hitting on the album before this was their their breakthrough album. This was the follow up to their breakthrough album. I feel like they kind of got a little more weird with this one. I mean, it's got this and Be My Lover, which are like the, the hits, the real rock hits. Well, but well, then they then get, goes into Halo of Flies right after that. And it's like, yeah, oh, Halo of Flies and Dead Babies. Out and getting out there. It's pretty like, weird. I mean, it's like, it's, I think it's every bit of, every bit as good as on a composition level as Beach Boys Pet Sounds. But oh. it's just as theatrical as New York Dolls. It's like, it's the circus and the symphony all put together. Yeah. Well, you definitely hit on something important, I think, about them, which is that when you said the word theatrical, because I almost feel like when I'm listening to an Alice Cooper album that I'm like hearing the soundtrack to a show I wasn't at. Mm-hmm. So I think so much of what they do is so, what's so important about it is that, that stage show. Well, yep. that's, he always considered himself, you know, vaudevillian, right? Yeah, like carrying that, that torch. Vibe. Like, yeah. he's just everything about him from the beginning through to now was everything was about the show. Well, mm-hmm. shit, they're the first show they ever played. They didn't actually play any music. They, they lip synced to the Beatles. It was about the stage show. They yeah. loved being on stage from that one experience. They went and got instruments, learned how to play them because they loved being on stage and doing the show. They're very theatrical. This is one an incredibly theatrical band. I mean, in fact, I think if you start talking about why they write songs and what they write, it's so they can have a bigger impact on stage. And this album is a very good example of that to get into later, mm-hmm. where everyone dies in this album. Like every song, someone dies because they want to have that theatrical part of the show where someone dies at the end of the song. Like they get hanged, they get guillotined, they get electrocuted. Something bad is going to happen somewhere at the end of the song because, I mean, that was a really big moment for the crowd. Mm-hmm. And this album like accentuates that moment for the audience over and over and over again. Like the, 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 the album before that, where they really started hitting, they really started feeling their audience. People started liking them after their last album. They come out with this one and they're like ready to nail it. They know what the audience wants and they give it every song. Yeah, I think they kind of took some of the like physical theater of like Little Richard and Screaming Jay Hawkins and <clears throat> Jerry Lee Lewis and turned it conceptual. Yes, I think. I think definitely you get that Americana rock and roll thing, especially on that last song where they have that Chuck Berry riff mm-hmm. that, I mean, you don't get a lot of that in albums before this one. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they left Sam, uh, they left Los Angeles and they went back to Michigan and all of a sudden they're singing a Chuck Berry type song about cars living in Pontiac, Michigan. All of a sudden that's important to him. You know, like that was the change. And all of a sudden that Americana thing comes into it. That's what was happening there, though, at the time. So it makes perfect well, sense. Well, they're they're playing right around uh, Iggy uh, Iggy Pop was there, uh, the MC5, MC5, yeah. MC5, yeah, which uh, was such a better fit for them than L.A. was, where they yeah. were fucking bombing. Yeah, I mean, no one gave a shit about them in L.A. Yeah. at the time. But that's funny because this song, "Be My Lover," in my opinion, is like the epitome of '80s L.A. rock. <laughs> She struts into the room Well, I don't know her But with a magnifying glance I just sort of look her over We have a drink or two Well, maybe three 
like, sound, the the lyrics, everything about this is like fucking yeah. Motley Crue and Poison. Yeah. There, there, there's there's two Alice Coopers. Uh, uh, one is like this uh, heavily drenched uh, uh, Pink Floyd influence with Frank Zappa's influence where they're doing this prog rock stuff and not doing it as well as everyone else. And then there's this Americana rock and roll thing that they're doing, which is connected with uh, Michigan. And uh, it's when they're they're not doing that as well as anyone else. But when they're right in between and they find that sweet spot where they're where they're doing this prog rock influenced uh, horror Americana rock and roll, they find their element and they live there. And that's when they're perfect. So when they go to either side, like that first song where I feel like they're too far to the, the, the straight rock side or they go too far to the prog rock one with like their previous albums. They, they lose me, but they're right in between, right in the middle. That They own that. They invent that. Mm-hmm. That's when they're great. And this album is such a great example of that. Yeah, this album really exemplifies that. It really exemplifies their dark prog side. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we'll I also it. feel this was kind of around the time when they're starting to escape that whole Frank Zappa influence because exactly. a lot of their exactly. stuff, yeah. these up. albums was, yeah, it was real, like early 60s weird acid trip I, I swear rock. to god the cerebral shit that was happening on the west coast that frank zappa like what was showing them they didn't fit in and it, they, they described it once as it wasn't their drug that everyone out there was doing acid and they're doing this really cerebral fucking shit that's like almost like a reinvention of jazz and they go back to the 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 midwest where coincidentally um alice cooper was born and they go back to this drinking culture of beer, and they fit in perfect. And all of yeah. a sudden, it's about live music. What do they have? They have a live fucking show. All of a sudden, they fit, and they connect. And that move back from exactly like you were saying, away from California. Their music gets a little more moxie. Yeah, and, and, and all of a sudden, they find their thing. And yeah. it, it's only like a little while after they move back that they do the Toronto thing, and then uh, everything takes off, mm-hmm. which was, coincidentally, the album right before this. The interesting thing I have always thought about about this record is like the two rock standard hits are track one and two, and yeah. then they just kind of go off the rails. From yeah, they there. stretch out from there. It's, it's but the it doesn't it doesn't stretch back. out too far. Like this yeah, song still avant-garde. gets really rocking towards yeah, the end. Totally. And so does yeah. like Dead ba- Baby still kind of has that hook for the chorus. Yeah. Well, it's like you, you didn't bring their first two out. You didn't bring their first album. Is it? It's it's entirely prog rock and it's entirely Pink Floydish, and uh, they don't have that rock element that is really a lot of who they are. Mm-hmm. And this one is the balance. Well, it's like you know it always freaks people out when you're like, yeah, listen to early Alice Cooper. They're like, wait, what is this? Because when you think Alice Cooper, you think heavy metal, right, or rock, hard yeah. rock, quintessential hard rock, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, but no, when you listen to stuff like this, like no, they they had a lot going on yeah. actually. You, you yeah. can't you can't ignore the prog rock element either. In fact, like a, that that first song, I was critiquing and saying it was too much of the the fun rock and roll side. Whereas when they start pulling back and getting into the prog rock stuff, all of a sudden they find that sweet zone and shit takes off. Um, we have to say the name of the guitarists. There's two of them uh, out loud because they Michael don't get, Bruce. What's the the lead guitarist? I can't remember. I'm, I'm looking know, it up right now because I only know the name of the rhythm section. They're amazing and they need to be sung about. So I'm going to The bass player Dennis Dunaway, I think did a lot of the composition on this record. And he was not the original drummer but came in so fucking early it doesn't really matter. Uh oh, Glenn Buxton. Glenn Buxton player. which I think died in around 1997 or so. 
is a amazing guitarist, really inventive, really creative. Straddling that prog rock, but still fun. Yeah. Is it they, when they lose the fun, they suck. I mean, yeah, they that, start like, off being, you know, chugga chugga blues driven rock and American rock and roll. But even this is kind of like one of the more proggy songs yeah. and listen to what's happening. Chugga chugga right yep. there. Yeah, and it still and it still moves. Tom. Yeah, it still moves. It doesn't ever get too far out there, but it's not straight up rock and roll. Not right. under my wheels, but uh, it still swings. It still moves. Totally. Uh, under my wheels was a huge hit for them at the time. That was a big deal. And uh, to me, it's like almost pandering. You know, like uh, the stuff later on in this album is so much more complex without being heady. But you know, you know when you're putting together an album. And you're the band or you're the manager or you're the engineer, the producer, whatever you got, you know, you purposely put tracks in an order and sometimes they put something in just to get people in to start listening to it. Yeah. So you don't turn you it off right away. In. And then, you know, they're warmed up and they're ready to hear kind of the more complex. Once you've won them over yeah. with the catchy stuff, then, right. you know, and that's not always the case because some people on this, but I mean, this was kind of early on in this band yeah. kind of. They were still trying to make a living Changing. and be yeah. professional musicians. It's like at so. some point you can do whatever you want with your albums once everybody's going to listen yeah. to you no matter this what. This is the sound of Detroit to me right here. <laughs> That's where it starts rocking. Like Glenn, Glenn Buxton and Michael Bruce, unfucking sung heroes of the Alice Cooper group or the Alice Cooper band. Yeah, I've never read into <clears throat> if they got what they deserved out of the band or not. Well, they got they're, they're both inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that happened in 2011. So uh, that was after uh, uh, the lead guitarist died. That was oh. after he died. Oh. Fucking shame. Yeah. I'm going to say they never really got their due. Have oh, you heard no. uh, of the Billion Dollar Babies? Not the album. Oh, no. It's after Alice Cooper fired this band. Uh-huh. They, made, they made a band called Billion Dollar Babies. It's just them with like one of the guitar players singing. It's really good. It sounds really? I like this. That yeah, out. You, well, you can find it online. Nice. I think, I think he's uh, since sobered up enough that he uh, currently is touring with as many original members as he can get. Yeah, I think they're I think they talked about doing another record with you. Yeah, yeah no, they're, they're definitely like the direction that they're going is they specifically said they're headed towards this era of Well, I mean, there's been a renaissance of like <clears throat> early 70s hard rock worship. Yeah, for sure. So like, oh, it's ripe. The time is ripe for this. Yeah. Like just swing on in and do it. Yeah. They just played in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. My uh-huh. friend Ryan saw him. I haven't talked to him. I'd like to see how it was. But he's total Alice Cooper freak, so I'm sure he's going to say it was great no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw him play once, and it was – I mean, he was doing shit from the 80s and 90s that I don't care about at all, but it was still one of the best shows yeah. I've ever seen. Really I, fun show. They're, they're 
they are a live band. Yeah, I mean, it's like seeing Kiss or something. Yeah. You're not going to not have fun. Yeah, no, I think you can teach people in fifth grade how to play Kiss songs. So what was important about Kiss was a live show. Alice Cooper as well. Yeah. I mean, damn. The I mean, uh, I would... I'd say even more so. I mean, uh, from the very beginning, they started developing their art and stagecraft at the same time that they were learning to play instruments. I wouldn't even say that's true about Kiss. Kiss probably tried, probably learned how to play their instruments to the, their or level of proficiency. really didn't learn. Yeah, to their <laughs> level of proficiency. Musicians, yeah. It wasn't what was important about them, but they did learn their instruments first. Whereas uh, with this band, I mean, like three of them were art students. You yeah. know, like uh, they were building, they were they were building <laughs> guillotines and stuff immediately when they were still called the spiders. Right. To use on stage. Well, a lot of what I listen to, I mean, I listen to everything out there, but a lot of the stuff that I feel very influenced by, I would even refer to as like kind of meatheady, like just dumb rock, like yeah. Kiss and the Stooges and. I would include Alice Cooper. In a lot that of knuckle dragger rock. Yeah, you're talking but about I, you're talking about rock. beer rock yeah. as a, as but opposed to Western acid rock. But even yeah. even those types of bands, I'll fucking argue to the death about the nuanced brilliance going on there. Yeah. And I feel like Alice Cooper, with this record particularly, kind of surpasses the meathead genre by just being. Just go in there, being a little weirder. Yeah, just I, would, a, I, was I would about say, say that, weirder. I would say yeah, that uh, they, sure. they have something that prog rock didn't have, which is that they remembered that it was supposed to be fun. And they have something that the just fun crowd had that uh, they had something that they didn't have, which is that they remembered to also be deep. So they're right in the middle. You see what I mean? That's the, that's their whole importance to me is that they, they have the best of both. They, they found a spot no one else well, was in. Yeah, I mean, they had the gumption to be progressive, but... There's still there's authenticity in their inabilities and like that's what makes them just gives makes them inherently a little punk. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, lots tons of attitude. They didn't they yeah. didn't open up and become real until they were playing shows where Iggy Pop was playing. I mean, I think punk kind of reminded them what was important about who they were. I mean, there were some jocks that were in a fucking uh, they were they were all on the track team. You know, and that's how they all met. And uh, and uh, they went out to California and started playing with these guys, that like playing shows with people that were all about the thoughts and the things. No, they wanted to get they wanted to get fucking drunk and party. And it wasn't until they went back to the Midwest where they found that crowd of people that wanted that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, their beer and the West Coast at the time was acid. Yep. And uh, I think uh, my attraction to them is like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm beer, too. You know, like, uh, so I get that. Well, I think my attraction to him is I'm beer, but I've tried acid just like them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a great way to put it because I feel, I, you know, I used to be really acid, but yeah. I was always beer. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what I'm going to go back to what we were talking about a second ago about their, you know, they've always kind of had a, a punk rock ethos. I mean, there's that song 18. It's on like every punk compilation. Like now this is punk or yeah. whatever. There's always that song on it. Right. I'm edgy. I'm edgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does everyone know that story? Uh-uh. Yeah, they originally recorded the, the song, and uh, they were playing it for a producer who uh, thought they were saying, I'm edgy, I'm edgy, because it, so, it was recorded so badly. Yeah. yeah. But they were saying, I'm 18, and they had no idea. And yeah. It was right when they were on Frank Zappa's label, and then they ended up on Warner Brothers, and they, it was default because Frank Zappa sold his, uh, his uh, studio to Warner Brothers. And so suddenly, Alice Cooper before they were popular is suddenly on Warner brothers. Warner brothers hated that they were, they were 
they didn't want that fucking band on their label. They they were famous in California for like if you walked out of an Alice Cooper show, you were cool, and everyone knew that. So everyone would leave the shows all the time. They played the they they played that show at a, the the Cheetah for the they opened for the Doors, and uh, so many people left the goddamn show when Alice Cooper started playing. They were, Alice Cooper was playing a song that says like uh, "You hate me, you hate me," and the band started chanting back, "Yes, we, I mean the audience started chanting back, yes, we hate you," mm-hmm. and everyone left. So the Doors come on stage, and there's no one there because everyone's left because of Alice Cooper. I think Halo of for the Flies best. is actually about Jim Morrison. Oh no, I think it's Desperado. No. Oh, it's Desperado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you're right. Uh, Lord of Flies is what the we're listening spy. to right now. Is this the one? Perfect this timing. Yeah, well, let's let's give it a listen because he actually does an impersonation of Jim Morrison. It's good. on warner brothers at this point um uh, let me go grab the record and i'll I think, tell you uh, real quick i remember warner brothers paid kicking and screaming they wanted nothing to do with them but they 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 had them on the label frank so uh frank zappa's label they they bought it so they're like well we'll give money for like four songs mm-hmm. and one of them was i think uh the early hit i think it was was it my wheels or no, that was before, before that. Was before that. Yeah. I think it might have been 18. It was the album before this where yeah. they really took yeah, off. Yeah, Love to Death is before yeah. this. Yeah, it's something off of Love to Death. I think it's 18. And uh, so they may still be on Warner Brothers at this point. Warner Brothers. Who produced this too? Oh, uh, that's another story, right? Because the production on this is really good. Like it is. Perfect rock guitar tone. So, like, yeah. Holy. Still pretty it lo-fi. Was, it was that. Yeah, it's not, it's not too... It was that it was show like at the dirty Cheetah. Dirty in all the right ways. Yeah. Very was, warm sound. So imagine they're playing at the Cheetah in L.A. And they, they play that song. He's like, uh, he, you can find pictures of it on the internet. They, they took stills. But uh, he's dressed up in this dress. And he's got makeup on. He's holding this like fake uh, wall in front of him with a window. And he's looking through it. And he's singing, you hate me, you hate me. And singing like he's a sad girl in an apartment building. And the, the, it's very theatrical. The audience is like, yeah, we hate you. And everybody leaves. The doors go on and you're sitting there like I, we chase the audience away again and some guy walks up to you and I'm pretty sure it's the producer that they hooked up with and he was like, I'm amazed at your ability to empty a building and I think there's something to that. And that's the guy that ends up hooking them up with uh, Frank Zappa. Huh. If, uh, we could look up his name. So on Warner Brothers produced by Bob Ezrin. Yeah. And might so be Bob, producer. But he met them that night at that show, I think. And so uh, Maybe Bob look, Ezrin. that up. Just to, I, I mean, it, this lineage is everything we've been talking about, right? Until we get to the end, but uh, best known for his work with Lou Reed, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Pink Floyd, Deep Purple. Wow. Yeah. But then Peter Gabriel and Fish. Huh. 
Hey, hey times were tough. Yeah, keep the lights on. And Deftones and 30 Seconds to Mars. I was hoping there was nothing after Fish. the industry changed a lot, homie. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, yeah, like... Like uh, we all I, get I heard, older. We all get older. I heard a smart person say earlier today, "If there's money on the table, you got to take it." Right, you Jeremy? Be, yeah, yeah. If there's money on the table, you pick that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you be remembered but forever yeah. as being the guy that brought the world fish, then and thirty seconds to Mars. Enjoy, your, is, enjoy your fucking money. One asshole. of those <laughs> actors, I can't ever remember his name, but the guy that was in that uh, uh, Leto. Yeah, Jared Leto. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always get him confused with the uh, River Phoenix's little brother. Joaquin, Joaquin or no, Phoenix? no, not we, Joaquin Phoenix. Who's the, oh, it doesn't matter. This is boring. I'm just <laughs> I forgot they were related. Um, yeah, I thought it had a big producer. It makes sense. It's but on I, Warner the, it's the guy yeah. they met was they at that cheater studio. show. That's all I'm saying. Like, that was that night. That was that fucking night. That makes sense that he had worked with Lou Reed before because <clears throat> the production on this kind of reminds me a little bit of Coney Island Baby, and that's one of my favorite productions. Yeah, um, yeah. like I thought this album is mostly Alice Cooper and Michael Bruce with Dennis Dunaway. Yeah. Songwriter credits. Yeah, so. Dennis Dunaway had a lot to do with this. Yeah. See, this song is interesting to me because when it starts out, I it's so simple. I like to imagine like Johnny Thunders and David Johansson listening to this and being like, we can fucking do that. Yeah. They're bringing it back to Bo Diddley. We can play rock and roll. Yeah. <clears throat> but then it gets... Pretty weird yeah, at the end of it. Going, then the, then like, the prog oh, comes in. Yeah, you know, then that that uh, Pink Floyd influence comes in. And this song, just for a uh, uh, clarification, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can be my slave, and I'll be a stranger. <laughs> Still a pretty straight up rock song and really catchy, but yeah, there's some parts in it. They're like, yeah, you, you get my point. Yeah, they'll, they'll never be Pink Floyd. They'll never be Bo Diddley, but they're right in between, and there's no one else there, and they own that shit. Yep. And we haven't talked about, which I think I'm gonna just throw this out there and let everyone else talk about it for a second. We haven't talked about the darkness yet, because that's a. I mean. It, no one before them except Screaming Jay Hawkins was doing that Americana horror thing. And they brought that in on their own, too, which coming out of the 60s and Flower Power was a major thing about them. They were dark as shit and they were there to scare and freak people out. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that. Well, I recently uh, listened to an interview with Alice Cooper and I, I can't remember where. I mean, it might have been on NPR, but he was talking about that uh, was like Jack Benny was one of his biggest fans. You know, and all these old and like these uh, old actresses from the 20s uh, because, you know, he was he was working in movies and doing other things like that as well. So he was around these actresses that but it was like anyone who was involved with vaudeville or around that time. All saw, so, you know, people were telling their kids, you can't buy this record. It says the word rape on it or it has like the, uh, you know, Some satanic stuff, images yeah. or whatever. But all of the old people are like, this is what we did in vaudeville. And back then they said the same thing when we did it. Yep. That we were being, you know, it's like you might have like a, a, you know, a woman wearing, you know, you could see her ankles or something. You know what I mean? And the times had changed, but they were still the same. And I yeah, found it's, that it's very too far out there. All right. What are we listening to now? This is Dead Babies. 
So I think the Speaking darkness, darkness is a big part of, of just Alice Cooper's thing in general. The yeah. music, yeah. rock and roll, always kind of leans more towards the dark side, and especially yeah. with this stuff, even their prog stuff. I think that's what, what um, separates it from other prog stuff of the times. Like, it's very rock and roll prog, but just the darkness in general, the feeling they went for. Like, and being from Michigan, that makes sense if they're around the Stooges and people like that. People strung out on heroin. There's a lot of darkness around that's yeah. going to seep in. It's prog it for not. people that haven't read The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they were out to shock for sure. I mean, they, they, they specifically wanted to do stuff that would make them notice. And they had such a fucking hard time. I mean, they had years in L.A. not making it and being hated. And I, I think that they, when they found something that uh, crowds responded to, they were not going to give it up. Which is interesting because, like, the quintessential L.A. band for the time that they were there failing the doors, <clears throat> Jim Morrison basically had the same mentality about music and being a performer. It was... Well, I mean, you know, like, uh, at the time, I would say it wasn't all dark, but you, you picked one group for sure that was dark as fuck, but it also happened to be their friend at the time. I mean, uh, there was a song... Did we already miss Desperado? Because, I yeah, mean, that's that. like a... Jim Morrison inspired thing. I think that it was the year he died. Al- Alice Cooper sings like he imagines uh, Jim Morrison would sing it, and mm-hmm. sings a song they think Jim Morrison would have sung. Yeah, and uh, to a to a, a degree, very uh, humorously. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm a Doors fan. Most of my friends fucking hate them, no. and I completely understand hating the Doors. But I think there's something about Jim Morrison's artistic approach that made him respect bands like Alice Cooper. A, I think it's ridiculous to hate the Doors. There's too much there. I mean, yeah, it was a, a silly thing to hate the Doors. Uh, the Doors did a lot of a lot of shit. More of a fan of the Doors when I was younger, and I think when I I still like the Doors just fine. But I think when I kind of grew out of really liking the Doors was when I realized just how bad Jim Morrison's you know, poetry and lyrics. You like he Lou was Reed, never an though, right? artist. He was, no, you're no, a good no, rock no. and roll singer. Homie. Yeah, 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 yeah. With that. Do you like yeah. Lou Reed? Don't try and write books. Do you like Lou Reed? I, you know, I, I had the same problem with a lot of Lou Reed songs. I mean, okay. some of them are, are it's masturbatory. Brilliant. Well, that yeah. you're, you're consistent. Yeah. So I'll leave no, I'm you very, alone. I'm very consistent. I'm like, uh, I happen to love them both. <laughs> I, I think they're great. And uh, I don't get poetry at all. So I'm, there you go. And, and you know what? Like I said, I listen to Lou Reed and I listen to the doors, but it's like, but it's you know more Velvet Underground. I always like that stuff. But see, you know, I love Lou Velvet Reed. Underground like a great deal, especially yeah. White Light, White Heat. Yeah, I mean that that but stuff is great. I love early Lou Reed solo so much. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, and John Cale solo stuff. Well, I was gonna say John Cale. John wow. Cale's uh, record Fear, probably his third or fourth solo record. That was wow. almost the one that I brought well, to the table. Yeah. For this. Speaking to the poetry of the lyrics, I think both uh, uh, Jim Morrison and Lou Reed have uh, a giant head head up on uh, Alice Cooper's band here. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're both lyrically much more astute than uh, what we're listening to right now. And what the Doors had on all of them is absolute virtuosos as musicians. No. Yeah. Uh, well, they I was were gonna jazz trained. Interject I mean, uh, something about uh, my, a friend of mine explained Velvet Underground to me perfectly. It's like you had the uh, weird artist guy, you had one of the greatest musicians of the era, and then you had... The, one of the best managers of all time behind them as far as you know media mm-hmm. 
getting people out there. But that, of course, the musician being John Cale. And that guy is a fantastic yeah. musician, composer, guitar player, just. And, and without him, I mean, Velvet Underground wouldn't have held together. No. And I think we're on the last track This is now. the last track mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, it's the title track. a fate I didn't really want to get involved in this thing Does anyone know the name of the uh, the boa? Do you? Is it Gary? Yeah, I know the name of the boa. No, but Alice Cooper did have a snake named Cold Ethel that he had a song about later in his career that he would bring out on stage with him. I do not believe that is Cold Ethel on the cover, though. The, the origi- I know the name of the original one, which they claim someone from the audience came and put on the stage. But that is a claim they always made to erase themselves of guilt. Was yeah. that the audience? <laughs> yeah, it seems well, familiar yeah. with the chicken. Yeah, though, with the right? chicken. Yeah. Well, they have video of that. I mean, I know, film I know, of that. But uh, yeah, the, they claimed that the first t- the first boa was uh, put up on stage by the audience, and they just kept it. Seems unlikely to me that someone's going to just leave their boa with them. But uh, that boa's name was. Um, oh shit! <laughs> we went through all of that. All of that to no no payoff. Oh, What's man. the name of the? Uh, okay, so the the gods in uh, New Mexico. This is a New Mexico thing. So it really, it, you know, it's even worse. That I don't know it. Man, I take Kachina. snakes to shows. I got all it. The time. It's Kachina. The, the name thing. of the first the boa was. Kachina. Oh yeah, the the little. Uh, it's harder when you do the names of the. Do, does anyone know the name of the the chicken that died to make Alice Cooper a famous band? Is it Gary? It had a name. Kev. I've yeah. seen an interview. Mister Bachman. But I've seen an interview where the guy that. Call himself Alice Cooper later in their career. I believe the name of the chicken was Seymour. He, they claimed that the audience supplied the chicken. It wasn't true. There was someone that in the stage uh, uh, show. One of the one of the guys working with the band mm-hmm. had two chickens. They used to put them on the back of the one of the guitar racks. But the the why? chicken that died to yeah, make why? the band famous. I just like guitar or chicken shit on my guitar strings. Like fresh yeah. eggs. <laughs> his uh, his name was Pecker, and that uh, when uh you, if Pecker hadn't died, you never would have heard this album. Would never have happened. Pecker died to make this happen. Well, Pecker gave his life so thank, Alice Cooper could you. live. And it, he died brutally, <laughs> torn up by cripples in the first row. <laughs> Just running him over. I can say cripples in uh, 2017, his, uh, right? I don't know. Uh, handicapped people brutally murdered a fucking chicken. To make Alice Cooper famous. There you go. Yeah, which almost destroyed him. It's weird calling him Alice Cooper. I mean, we don't call uh, uh, Roger Waters Pink Floyd, right? Yeah. yeah. He took on that persona, though. So that's on him. That's not on us. He, I think he was instructed by Frank Zappa to take on anything that anyone said. I mean, anytime anyone came up with something crazy. But, I mean, uh, okay, so the does, does anyone know the story about how they came up with the name Alice Cooper? It's not true, but do you know it? The Ouija board? Yeah, and the witch, the dead witch. Do you want to tell the story? No, I don't even know it. I just made that shit up. Oh, that, it was a witch got burned at the stake or something, and uh, they they uh, contacted her through a Ouija board, and they named the band. It, it's yeah. not true. They didn't come up with it. Some the Ouija board told them the name was Alice Cooper. Yeah, they, it's totally fucking random. They 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 heard the story in a magazine article about themselves. They didn't know anything about it. But but they had learned to roll with whatever anyone was saying that made them sound. Cooler, weirder, yeah, whatever. I was going to say, that, that must be kind of convenient. Like, just come up with this kind of mysterious ethos about your band and then let other people write the story for you. 
<laughs> which is they, that's yeah. what, what lazy and fucks. Just, and then just I don't support that one hundred percent. Mystique is free. which is which is how you end up at like telling your mom that you just changed your name to Alice Cooper because yeah. uh, that's how that shit happens. You'll always be Vinny to me. <laughs> so what, what's, bad. what's your favorite bad song on the album? <clears throat> it's hard to say. I I guess probably be my lover. It's the first one I heard on the album, and I love it. It's a jammer. It's hard it's to pick jammer. on this album. It's hard. It's it depends so on like, all the, over the, the feeling you're in. You know, yeah. How you're feeling. I'd say "Be My Lover" is just like the old standby. Yeah. There, there's a couple of albums around this period because they, I mean, once they started having success, they were cranking out as much as they could. Why this one? I don't know. It's the fourth record they put out in like 18 months. Like the first record was in 1970. This is at the end. Of, this is the fourth record at the end of 1971. And I feel like when you produce that much content that quickly, you kind of just hone in on something before you have time to get into a different phase. You know, I feel like they kind of just got to the to the got down to the bones of what they were into. They were chasing an idea and, and it came together mm-hmm. here. And perfectly. sometimes that breaks bands. Absolutely. I mean, I mean they, they, they spend, what, 10 years with their first album, basically playing it live. They record it, well, sophomore slump, right? But yeah. then there are some people who are so prolific that if you give them too much time in the studio, they actually it's detrimental to them. Yeah. Now this this band spent so long in the weeds when they got a shot, they were ready. I yeah. mean, uh, they'd have come up with four that year if they thought that was the only ones they were gonna get. Yeah. yeah. Like they were ready. They were like, Fuck and you gotta think they shot. were they were living it at the time. Like that's all they did. Yeah. We play every night if we can. Like, Love it so to death. But, I mean, the, the thing you miss out on though is that half of what they did was planning for their stage show and performing their stage show, which there there's not that much record of. I mean, they were very elaborate fucking shows they put on. And that was the point. This is a live band and you never get that from listening to the album. Yeah. And that was at a point in their career where they did not have like <clears throat> a shitload of stage hands and, you know, resources at their fingertips. So Five 18 wheelers full of all of their yeah. accoutrement. It was yeah. coming real quick after yeah. this album though. If they didn't have it Absolutely. then, it was on its way. I mean, this is right when, I mean, this is their follow up to their big break. Right. That still wasn't huge money yet. No, but that they, wasn't schools and, out money. Schools but, out money what, changed what's the name everything. Of the, album, yeah. the, al- the album before this one was the Wayne's world money. Love it to death. Love yeah. it to death. At the point bef- right before love it to death, they were, over a hundred thousand in debt as a band. Yeah, they were starving. They were fucked. They they were returning home to live with their parents. It was done, and then this shit happened. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I know Michael Bruce is from Michigan, Detroit area, so that probably brings a lot of that mm-hmm. into the music. All right, so with that, that is the end of Alice Cooper Killer. Also, Michael Bruce probably still lives with his parents. <laughs> 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 All right. So that was episode one, and I hope you guys enjoyed it enough to join us for part two of our interview with Caleb Dawson, where we talk about Aldous Harding's new record, Party. Uh, It's kind of the antithesis of that Alice Cooper record, so it's uh, kind of an interesting dichotomy to the first part of the interview. And uh, we hope to have you back listening with us next month. Thanks. Bye.